welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're catching up with Josh Perry, who holds the overall self-supported FKT on the Pacific Crest Trail. Join us to learn about what it's like to hike 2,600 miles in 55 days and take 10 days off the previous men's self-supported record. So Josh, the PCT self-supported record was not your first FKT. You have FKTs on the Arizona Trail and the Long Trail. But I'm kind of curious what drew you to such a huge FKT after primarily doing shorter records. Um, (laughs) It's funny saying this to you, of all people. Your 2013, your PCT FKT was what introduced me to the outdoors. It was the first time I heard about through hiking. I started running after reading your Barclay report. So I was like, from the word go, my introduction to through hiking was the only the only thing I knew was how like you hiked, and then later it was John Zahorian and Andrew Skirka. So I was introduced to this whole world through people who hiked big miles, and it's kind of always been on my mind. Would you say the the shorter FKTs that you've done were like stepping stones toward this larger goal, like from the very beginning? Yeah. So the long trail FKT was off the back of a 12 month long IT band problem. I hadn't hiked for about two years and it was just a question in case of see if I can still, you know, do the miles I did on the CDT two years prior. And then the plan was always to go and do the PCT like a month after that. And then I quit the PCT in 2019, about a thousand miles into my southbound hike. And I still had a bunch of food boxes prepped, so I kept hiking all summer. And then when the Heiju connected with the Arizona Trail, it seemed like the logical step was to, to end, end my year with the ACT record attempt. I definitely think that it's a certain type of person that considers like that <laughs> logical. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, what did you learn on these other FKTs and, and your other hiking and running um, that helped you? when you got out onto the Pacific Crest Trail this year? The Arizona Trail taught me that ibuprofen is not your friend, and it kind of gave me an idea, a better idea of how to manage things as they go wrong, because a lot went wrong on that hike for me. Um, whereas on the PCT, things kind of kept going smoothly until all of a sudden I was just collapsing every day. So I didn't have to deal with adversary on that my first attempt. And then on the AZT, things kept on going wrong, and it taught me a lot about reimagining your goals on the go and dealing with problems as they arise and the fact that like water isn't as essential for 30 miles as you think it might be <laughs> and yeah just like a lot of like it helped, the azt taught me or oh, it was my first time really pushing sleep deprivation at all on the long trail my phone broke so i didn't have an alarm to set so i was sleeping like six to nine hours a night and the azt was my first time actually cutting back on sleep ever so going into the pct again with that experience meant I was much more familiar with how little sleep I could really get away with, which was probably very useful this time. Yeah, I definitely think that the sleep deprivation aspect is often overlooked. And it's, I mean, to some extent, you can probably train it, but I think a lot of it comes down to just like what an individual is capable of of yeah. dealing with. Yeah, I find it to be a case of just how yeah, how much you want it a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. sleep, sleep will always mm-hmm. win, but how far you can push that and how prepared you are to just to lie down for two minutes on the trail before you get up and get moving again and like and call call that a sleep i think that's the side of it that you can kind of train a bit more or you can learn from it yeah absolutely maybe you've kind of touched on this a little bit but i'm kind of curious 
you know, obviously you had done a thousand miles of the PCT prior as like an FKT type attempt. So was there anything that surprised you this time around, either physically or mentally about like doing a full, like, you know, 2,600 miles at like an FKT all out sort of um, engagement level? Oh, those loads. Um, Southbound felt like cheating because it was just so nice the whole way. The weather was really mild the whole time. You did Northern Washington with fresh legs. Like there was the, there wasn't the adversities I was expecting, because the sea. If you can get through southbound in the fires before the fires hit, you've got really nice weather the whole way. Whereas going north, it's essentially heat wave. I was always in the that area at the hottest time of year for the entire trail, mm-hmm. and then just the level of fatigue of like cumulative fatigue that builds up was really quite shocking. Like even compared to the Arizona trail, it was a whole different ball game. And I felt like for the last few hundred miles, my mind was like just removed from my body. I was completely out of it, but also my body started recovering from injury. I remember Stringbean telling me, like I was complaining to him in a message about my foot hurting, and he's like, yeah, that's just going to be with you to the end. But about 500 miles later, it had actually started to kind of heal, and I was really amazed that even doing you know, close to 50 miles a day, the body still managed to heal, given the long, a long enough opportunity. That's something I observed too, and I found it very fascinating. I mean, to a certain extent, at a certain point, I knew I was approaching where my body no longer had the capacity to heal certain things. But I was very amazed at, by demanding your body go on, it would. I remember I pulled my hamstring when I was doing my PCT record, and I was like, this could end my hike, and it healed in like a week. You know, and it's just like, because I was just like, we're still going to hike 50s until you stop hurting or till I ha- I can't, you know, and it, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about how you experience something similar, because it goes against all conventional wisdom, you know, of of rest, you know, when you're injured. I felt like I'd made smart decisions regarding how to push through injuries, but I think that was just what I was telling myself at the time, whereas in the reality, my body was going to heal either way. So like, I stopped using poles. Uh, so I got a foot pain in my right foot and couldn't load my right forefoot, and I couldn't load my left Achilles tendon for about 300 miles. So I was walking with a double limp, but putting poles away forced me to walk more naturally and not taking ibuprofen stopped me from being able to push through the pain until eventually those things actually just weren't bothering me quite as much. Like, and I managed to be able to bend my foot again, which was, yeah, felt felt very remarkable at the time. Yeah, no, I think it is very remarkable. And I, I think it is something that is interesting and unique. And I'm not sure, I mean, there's very few people that can have this discussion about going at an FKT pace, self-supported for this long, you know, I've had the dis- discussions like this with Scott and now you, and I mean, String bean wasn't self-supported, but, you know, we could have some similar discussions there. So it's just very interesting because I feel like there are these these interesting questions about how the body responds to this kind of demand. And there's not very many people who can, like, talk about it at, like, a an intimate level, you know? So it is interesting. And so speaking of, you know, which Scott and, and my record, and I feel like I probably should have, like, said this right off the bat, but, you know, it's it's so incredible here that you set this time. I mean, you, you hiked the whole PCT in 55 days. I mean, you essentially took 10 full days off of the previous men's record that Scott set. And so you demolished a 13 year old record and you also took five days off of my nine year old overall record. 
So I know you didn't meet the time goals you intended initially, but I'm kind of curious about like the mindset of first, why and how you chose the audacious goal you had and what it was for our audience. And then also what the evolution of mindset was throughout, like you obviously knew you were going to beat Scott's record and you were obviously going to beat my record, but were you were you upset with how things turned out or were you happy with how things went like while you were on the trail? So yes, I wanted to break the overall record. I was telling myself I was going to string bean it after his, his AT hike. Um, like that was what I was saying in my head. I was ahead of Tim's pace for 2000 miles. Like I got to Oregon before him and it wasn't until Lyon said that I actually fell off his pace really. And those last 550 miles, I mean, they were, they were crippling. The last 200 kind of got a bit better and I, I sort of managed to adjust my mindset, but having stuck to the very audacious goal I set myself for six weeks, like I woke up the morning of Lion's Head and I said to myself 10 days to go. And then it ended up being like 13 or 14 more. It was, yeah, it was a, it was really hard to adjust. I very almost quit several times. Like I thought I had quit for an entire day and I couldn't really readjust my mindset. I knew I didn't have a third attempt in me and I came back this year because I knew I hadn't managed to put this goal out my mind. So I had to finish, but I was doing the math on like, what's the least amount of miles per day I can do just to scooch in under 60 days or 60 and a half days because I just lost essentially all desire to really suffer or struggle once I fell off once I detoured around and I fell off the overall pace. And yeah, it kind of did and kind of still does feel like a failure, even though it's the kind of events that were out of my control. And that is very much just how FKTs go. They aren't really representative of what the individual can do. They're representative of what they can do in a certain set of circumstances. In the time, you don't really see it that way. In the time, it's so all-consuming that it just felt like it failed and I couldn't really see it any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, I've said this, I think other FKTers feel similarly. There is no perfect FKT. Like, there's, there's never that moment where like literally everything went perfectly as best as possible. There's always the low or the challenge that you don't expect. And it's about making do with what circumstances you're dealt. Yeah. I think I've had a messages from quite a few of the self-supported FKT folk as well. And they've all shared similar sentiments of disappointment after the fact, because it just, yeah, because it doesn't, as you said, it doesn't go how you wanted. What feels felt different about this one was the reasons it didn't go as I wanted, because it was a fire closure that I have my opinions about. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still not sure I made the right decision by going around it. It was disaster. Detouring around Lion's Head was a disaster in every possible way and i don't know if i think i should have gone through it or not yeah i mean i know that and no matter what what happens i mean i remember when i finished my pct fkt i after i had slept looked back at it and i could see all of the things you know you can always look back and you can see all of the things and i remember saying to someone i should have done that in 55 days like just knowing that all of the things, like I was like, I slept too much. I did laundry, you know, like you just notice all of, cause you're so close to it and you can just, you know, when you're in the moment, you're making the best decisions you can, but after you're out of it, you can look back and you can just see all of those little things or sometimes big things where you could have saved time or been more efficient or made a better choice. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's in, in the nature of the type of person to go after these things. It's also the type of person to be mm -hmm. hypercritical of themselves. 
Yes. It's that perfectionism, which is interesting because like we were just talking about, you know, an FKT can never be perfect. And yet it tends to draw those of us who like that perfectionism yeah. aspect. <laughs> yeah. But it also wouldn't be as fun if it was perfect every right. time. Exactly. Yeah. It would lose its appeal. <laughs> so I would like to know, and I think I probably know what you're going to say based on what we were just talking about, but your hardest section of trail and why was it your hardest section of trail? So yeah, Lion's Head. Can you talk a little bit about what Lion's Head is? Like just for maybe listeners who don't understand this. Yeah. So two years ago, uh, there was a lightning fire that started in Northern Oregon around Mount Jefferson. And the trail has remained closed for a couple of years where the PCTA have said there is no walkable detour and recommend through hikers hitch around the section. When Tim went for the record last year, he drove around the section doing an out and back to the fire closure boundary and then on the south side and then the same on the north side to make up roughly equivalent miles. But as I couldn't get into a vehicle the entire attempt, I hoped there would be a trail around the east side. On some of the maps we looked at, there was a trail on the east side. On some of them, there wasn't, so we weren't sure how good of a quality that trail would be. And when I got there, about two and a half miles into it, it turned into just hell. You know, one mile an hour pace was pushing it and generous of me to say it was that fast. Um, like it was waist to chest height, bushwhacking through a burn zone for seven miles on the south side and then almost five miles on the north side of it. There was a bit of kind of fifth class terrain that I had to get up. And like there were signs of a trail being there. There were way markings on trees, but the trees were all horizontal. They'd all burned over. Um, well, five of those seven miles took me six hours. And then I came out of it and I had a 32 mile road walk. And I had one litre of water on me, and there were no water sources on my map on Gaia. So I think it was 115 degrees that day, according to the woman at Olali Lake. And I got a horrific sunstroke, and I got very ill um, from that. And I quit halfway through that road walk, and then bushwhacked the second five miles in a further five hours the next day. And I, th I, got, I got to Olali Lakes thinking I'd quit. And I messaged my friend telling her I was done, but there was a one mile one mile of trail from the end of the bushwhack to the store at Olali Lake, and I put my headphones back in for that because there's nothing to rip them out whilst I, I was back on trail. And I checked my phone again at the store, and it said I'd done that mile in 19 minutes. And I was like, even though it was on a road, like I knew if I could still move like that, no matter how much pain I was in, or no matter how much, I just didn't want to be there anymore. I had 600 miles to go and I could suffer through it regardless. But yeah, that was by far and away the hardest stretch of trail. Yeah. I mean, at that point, like there's literally nothing that could be worse than that in those last 600 miles. <laughs> You've already done that. It tried. It really tried. Um, the next day I went to bed having just puked, pooped and peed all over myself. I got her just deathly ill. I did. I took did an eleven mile day the next day. Like I set up camp at eleven a.m. because I just died, and everything I ate made me puke or poop it out again. And then I got to Timberline, ate as much as I could, continued evacuating all of it, and then I got stung by a wasp and went into anaphylaxis just north of Cascade Rocks. And then I started peeing blood for the last eight days. So it tried to make it worse. <laughs> Nature had a vendetta yeah. against you. There was more like. that went wrong than that as well. It was like, it was like, I, I call it the worst week on trail that anyone's ever had. Yeah, it sounds terrible. Do you think you were sick from, from like bad water or food, or do you think it was residual from the. I think it was a sunstroke. It came about uh, mm -hmm. like the very next morning. I just had 
absolutely no energy and just things weren't sitting solid inside of me. I mean, I didn't have to do the, the bushwhack from hell or, you know, I didn't have some of these things that you did, obviously, but I do find it interesting because in central Oregon, in very similar area was when like, I literally felt like my body was falling apart. I was sick for no reason. And I like had my mental, like I'm going to quit as well. And then was able to rally basically at Old Ollie Lake. And so I think that it's very interesting. Maybe there's something to be said about the cumulative hole at that 2000 ish mile mark and being able to push beyond that. I think that that's kind of interesting that we both had somewhat similar experiences in that same region. I don't think you can go through something like this without quitting at some point. Right. It's just <laughs> true. That is so long and your body is going to be broken down so much. Like you can't. I don't know about Joe on the AT, but I feel like it's very difficult to be that mentally focused without a brief, like brief wobble for 45 to 55 days or 60 days. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, you know, you said, you know, you were halfway through that, that roadwalk through this bushwhack around and you quit. So what does quitting mean? Do you just mean in your head you quit or did you like stop and set up camp? Like describe what you mean by when you say you quit. I set up camp 7.30, 8pm that day, several hours earlier than usual. I, I quit a few hours before that, really. I was like, you know, moving one mile an hour on an undulating dirt road. I spent, I sent, had three naps between saying I'd quit and actually setting up camp. It was just, my head wasn't in it anymore. I messaged some people saying like i'm done it's over and i was looking for how i get out of her like i had i didn't see a car for the duration of that road walk it's all in the middle of nowhere but i was fully prepared to hitch like if, if a car came by i would have hitched with it like, yeah my head just so it's like in a way you owe your success to the fact that there was no one driving down that road so, yeah. <laughs> while you were on it so there, there was one car but i don't like to tell that story <laughs> Okay. He, was, he was drunk and uh, stopped it, slid, skidded, skidded the car in front of me, asked me what mm. I was doing, and then starts leaning on his gun on the hood as I respond. And yeah, even in that state, I wasn't getting into a car with a drunk man who was pointing a gun at me. Yeah, that's like, yeah. Good yeah. Call. <laughs> so, kind of moving away from kind of that, like the, the low points here, I'm kind of curious about what your training strategy for something like this was like, you know, what, what did you do prior to getting on the PCT to train specifically for this attempt? So I didn't train a lot in the year prior. I just kind of ran for fun. I was living in the Scottish Highlands and I had a rough year last year and decided like, I just don't want to train anymore. So I just ran when I wanted to run, which happened to be quite frequently, but because I lived in the mountains, you know, you, you, I think you were at the place I'd been living the day I finished. At least you up, up in Nevis, mm -hmm. which I was living at the foot of. Um, like all of that, all of the Scottish Highlands was essentially my playground. So every time I went running, it involved a 3,000 foot, two mile climb. So thankfully, like not training still meant doing a lot of vert and staying in reasonably good shape. And then I did a big circumnavigation of Death Valley at the end of April, start of May with John Z. That was my first time camping since the Arizona Trail you know, two and a bit years prior. And that was kind of the most training I did. And then once I realized I was still in shape from that, I did a couple of 50 mile days on the PCT just to, to get, check my body was still up for it. But 
that like in 2019 there was a very structured training plan i think for about five months i did 25 hours of training a week having just read uphill athlete and all of their stuff and like going very deep down the training rabbit hole this time it was very very unfocused you know no structured training sessions the odd bit of strength work here and there and just counting on like 18,000 miles of hiking experience. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said, I think, about, especially on FKT this long, of going into it healthy and rested, more important than going into it possibly overtrained or on the verge of injury. And I also think there's something to be said for training in a way that feeds your soul, not just meets your splits. You know, I think you probably kind of understand what I mean by that. And I can't really think of a better place to like just run for fun than there at Fort William, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good place to be living. Yeah. I mean, a few trails would have been I, nice here and there. Yeah, I think right? if, the, if the hill I could get up involved a VK, it was all less mm -hmm. than three miles with more than 3,000 foot of climbing if I wanted to go up a hill. So occasionally doing something flatter would have been nice, but my roads didn't, the road I lived on didn't have flat options. So Yeah, I mean, the flattest thing around there, I think, is yeah. the West Highland Way and you still yeah. are going way up. If you're going out of there. Yeah, I, I remember I camped before I did Ben Nevis there. And I don't know, right before, you know, the evening, a herd of <laughs> runners went right by me. I was like, I could hear all these voices. And I was like, what is going on? I like look out my tent and there's just all these people running by. And I was just like, okay, I guess there's a lot of running in these parts, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Especially over summer. Uh, yeah, because I lived at the youth hostel where the Ramsey Round starts. And over summer, last year there were about 70 successful Ramsey rounds and probably 150 attempts. So it seemed like every night there were people leaving to run up the bend or coming down from the bend to touch the side and collapse. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Did you do a Ramsey round while you were there? Or I did a Tranters. I did a Ramsey in 2019 when I was training for this. I did a Winter Bob and then I did, I did a solo Ramsey and then I trained for three weeks I say trained. I did three. I did three weeks of like focused hill work before trying a solo winter Ramsey round. A couple of weeks after John Kelly tried it, but it was in full winter conditions. And I just when I was crossing the Glen Nevis River, I fell in. It was just raging, and I couldn't cross it. And then when I got soaked, I was like, I didn't want to then go up the eastern the hills east of Loch Eel. So I just ran back home. Wow. Yeah, I backpacked uh, the the Tranter basically um, this summer. And I cannot even fathom being up there in the winter, like when there's ice, like coming off of the back of Ben Nevis in ice and doing that transition slope to get over from to the Great Quarries. Like I can't even yeah. <laughs> fathom doing these things if there's snow or ice. Oh my God. Like Yeah. So I, I did the Great Quarries a week prior to my attempt and the descent off Cardmore Jerig up Anuk Berg and Anuk Moore was like actually terrifying because I had running shoes on. Even with crampons, you don't have a stiff enough platform to front point. And then I had to like knock a cornice down. So I tied, tied myself to a rock and just knocked it down with my ice axe to be like, well, at least that, that won't be there when I attempt it for real. And it was, it was intense. It felt scary. It's way out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I've done some winter stuff, but like in general, I just stay out of the mountains in the winter for those reasons. <laughs> I don't do yeah. well in the cold anyway, so that's no. the limitation for me. But yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't either. Usually, I have quite severe Raynaud's disease. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know it then. So I usually travel with about five packs of hand warmers in the winter and far too many layers. 
Like people are always looking at my gear list and like, why do you have four pairs of gloves? I was like, because if one gets wet, I need a dry yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this probably doesn't apply to you, but it applies to me. <laughs> well, I'm sure we could talk for a long time about Scotland, but that would probably bore everybody who hasn't been there. So tell me a little bit about like the permitting process for the PCT. Like, I think I heard that they no longer issue permits for people who start after June 1st. Like, did you have to like permit as you went along or were you able to get like the full like PCTA permit? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. So I had a PCTA permit. It just didn't okay. start the day I started. I, I got okay. one for the last day of May, but when they told me they stopped issuing ones for June, realistically, it's not possible to self-permit on an FKT anymore because you have to go into Lone Pine, to Inyo National forest ranger station to get the kennedy meadows to sonora pass permit and then you'd have to get a car you'd have to get in a car to go there to get that so yeah yeah i just started on a different day to my permit yeah it's i i mean i have no idea but it's just very strange to me that they don't issue i mean you used to be able to get a permit i'm old i've done the pct from way back when and you used to be able to get a permit to start any day you wanted to so i, I was really surprised i think it was wit who told me that they know so this is the first this, this is the first year starts. of that so uh, i had okay yeah, because I remember he asked me about it, and I was like, I don't know. I think you can get a permit. So I had one for a northbound attempt in 19, but I hadn't recovered from the long trail in time. And I know Tim had a northbound permit as well. So this was the first year you couldn't get one in June anymore. But there were also a lot of June starters, which really surprised me. But I, yeah, I passed about 14 people who started in June all hiking together in around Big Bear. So... I assume a lot of people are doing the same thing I did because self-permitting seems, I don't think many people are self-permitting anymore. Right. Well, I mean, it's a huge hassle. I mean, whether you're attempting an FKT or not, it's a huge hassle. I mean, that's one of the benefits of being able to get the, the PCTA permit. It's not as bad as people think because the only, the only section before Kennedy Meadows, you only need permits to camp in the areas. So if you can hike through them, it's fine. And then if you go to the in your ranger station, you can get your Sierra permit. And then the PCTA permit is non-quota from Sonora Pass to the end. So you can just get one of those to cover the rest of it. So it's only really that one permit you need, but it's not realistic to get that on an FKT attempt. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to shift gears a little bit here. Anyway, I've talked a lot about the hike itself and all of that, but I kind of want to know what your re-entry process has been like, if you're comfortable talking uh, about it. Awful. Um, I'm still trying to convince myself three months later it's just post-hike depression. Um, I've had a really hard time readjusting. Um, yeah, it's been very difficult to f get my feelings on all of this together. It still does feel like a failure to, to some extent. I'm trying to view it more positively, but generally it's quite challenging, especially when everyone is so positive about it to you. Everyone always says it's always about congratulations. It's amazing. You've done such an incredible thing. But when you feel yourself like that's a, like you've not done enough or you, it wasn't a success, then there's just that constant contrast between what people are telling you and how you actually feel. And it's can be difficult to handle or to deal with. I tried the Colorado Trail FKT about a month later. So I think it was three weeks after I got back from Hearts Pass I started because I was so fed up of, of thinking about the PCT and that went disastrously as you might expect. But yeah, the whole post-hike thing has not been not been good for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, the, the similarity in our trajectories is, is fascinating to me. You know, it's like I, I struggled a lot. Um, similar, um, that juxtaposition between how I felt and what external feedback I was getting was really hard for me as well. I didn't 
necessarily struggle with the failure feeling like kind of like where you feel that, but I definitely went wholesale into imposter syndrome where I just felt like it was a fluke. Like there was no way I could have possibly done it. I mean, that was my first FKT, you know, and I just like had, you know, and it was just like constantly, like almost like the more people congratulated me, the more I felt like negative and like a fake and began to like, you know, and obviously I went out and I tried to solve it by doing the JMT FKT and it went terribly. So it's similar to your Colorado trail and eventually just got to a point where I was like, I couldn't even talk about the BCT. Yeah. So it's, that's very interesting to, to hear you kind of echo some similar yeah. issues with processing and re-entry. I mean, I declined after the interview. I did my outside interview and then everything after that, about two months, I just didn't do it because I didn't want to talk about it at all. But I had a lot of imposter syndrome on the hike itself. I felt, you know, having done the AZT as fast as I did and having you having a time on the AZT, it wasn't so much against feeling an imposter compared to yourself as as Joe, Joe, as String Bean and Joey Camps and Carl Sabe, who are these people who's, you know, I, I was that like nerdy kid on White Blaze following along with all these FKTs when I was 18 because that was my introduction to this and i had joey camps splits on the pct and every day i'd see myself getting a bit further ahead than him and knowing i was ahead of joe's of string beans time for so long as well it, yeah it felt like it was imposter syndrome at its finest like it, i had no rational explanation for why i was able to do it because by all accounts these people who i think are better than me i was keeping up with or ahead of yeah it's definitely the mental side of fkts is highly underrated, I believe, and the mental aspect of what happens after you set the FKT as well. So maybe we can wrap this up uh, with what was your biggest takeaway from this experience? It was, I think, that big audacious goals don't solve your problems. A lot of people have the mentality that through hiking can like solve their problems. And I think after a couple of hikes, you generally realize it's not going to, except I had those couple of hikes, realized it wouldn't. And then did FKTs. I was like, well, maybe these will solve them. Maybe <laughs> if I make it harder, that'll fix everything. And it doesn't. But I was surprised how much fun I actually had doing it. I might not be able to find that now, but I can remember at the time, I really did enjoy it. A lot of it, at least, because it's such a ridiculous thing. Like, there's no real fame or glory in it, but it was so all encompassing during it. And I never questioned, like, waking up. And not being able to walk and why am I continuing? Because I was still, despite everything, for the most part, I was still really enjoying it. So it was, it was I think the other takeaway was that I actually do really enjoy this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's something really beautiful about having a period in your life where it's you're completely immersed and focused and there are no questions. Your goal is clear every day of your life. Well, thank you so much for making time to come on here and, and share with us and we really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk, chat with you. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. Thanks again, Josh, for coming on the show. You can check out his FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com, and follow him on Instagram, underscore Joshua Perry. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Heather on the FKT Podcast.